0: I'm speaking with Gil Dennis. He's one of the staff here at the Squaw Valley Community Writers Conference. He's a screenwriter whose last screenplay was Walk the Line. Thank you for joining me, Gil. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) Gil, tell me a little bit about your history as a writer. I'm a screenwriter,
1: and I've never written prose. I've never, I wrote one play, which was really a monologue. So, uh, I'm a screenwriter.
0: Okay. Uh, Well, tell me, how did you just... uh, That's an unusual place to start writing, it strikes me.
1: Well, my background was in the theater, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was very fascinated with... I was always fascinated with uh, movies, and I think at some point I wanted to direct, and uh, it was a way in uh, to to movies. if, If you wrote a good script you might get a chance to uh, to direct it, the next one.
0: Now, tell me, what was, what was your first screenplay that, that you wrote and what was the first one that was produced?
1: Were they the same? I wrote on a couple of movies uh, that were made, in which I didn't get credit, you know, The Black Stallion and Apocalypse Now. Wow. And then, then uh, later, the first one to be made was uh, Return to Oz. Which I wrote with Walter Murch. He directed it. Yes.
0: Well, tell me about that. That's a that's an interesting uh, uh, first project to be produced because it, you know, you're adapting somebody else's work and, and and you know making it your own. And it's an interesting uh, vision of Oz as well.
1: Yes. <laughs> no, you know, uh, adaptation takes longer than writing an original script always mm-hmm. because you need to make the book or books part of your emotional memory
0: mm-hmm. you need to know
1: them as well as you know traumatic things that happen to you in the course of your life
0: that's a fascinating observation i never thought about that so uh, you did you how did you you know the oz books are so beloved by so many people how how many did you have to read to get yourself immersed in them
1: i think i read most of them but we were really concentrating on one or two mm-hmm. uh But uh, let me explain something about adaptation and what I just said. Mm -hmm. And I'll go back to The Black Stallion, if that's okay. Sure, sure. Uh, There was a scene in The Black Stallion, or, or in the book, in which the boy has been lost on an island. And he's walking along, and suddenly the Black Stallion comes charging out of the dunes, rears up in front of him, comes down, and kills a snake.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's the narrative as it exists in the book. Uh, the Black Stallion was the first book as a child I read on my own, you know, without a parent. Wow. Or s- my <laughs> sister so this must reading have been a- it to me, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, I was working on this with Carol Ballard and Walter Murch. And so you spend some time with this scene thinking of how you would stage it in a movie mm-hmm. or, or how, uh, how you might make it visually more dramatic and i g- grew up in my very early childhood on a bayou mm-hmm. in the louis in louisiana outside of baton rouge and my mother was always terrified as a toddler I'd wander out and pick up a water moccasin or something and get bitten so i was taught to be frightened of snakes and had dreams about snakes long before girls ever <laughs> crossed my mind, you know. And uh, there was a moment uh, somewhere when I was 9 or 10 in which I saw a movie called Navajo, and it was about a Navajo boy, and there was a scene in which he was walking along the rim of the Grand, of of, of, of Canyon de Chez, uh, above Spider Rock. mm mm-hmm. uh, with the ruins right down below, and suddenly heard a rattle. Mm-hmm. And there was a rattlesnake there, and he stepped away. A terrifying moment, which I remembered very well. And life being as perverse as it is, uh, a year or so later, my family went camping on that rim of, you know, Canyon de Che right above spider rock. And I spent the night sleepless in a sleeping bag (laughs) waiting for that snake to show up, you know. So when it came to that particular scene, I thought, what would be the most terrifying thing? Well, the kid's exhausted. He goes to sleep in the sand. And when he wakes up, there's a snake coiled in his face. And so that's how Mm -hmm. your own life and everydayness informs a narrative that exists away from you.
0: Wow, that's a fascinating observation. Yeah, yeah. so
1: it's about emotion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, terror in this and case. In this case, so is that can bring us to the workshop I teach up here, mm-hmm. uh, in which we only have time to ask three questions of people uh, that are in the workshop. But we ask people, you know, what is the most terrifying thing that ever happened to you? Uh, what is the most shameful thing you ever did and uh, what is your proudest most joyous moment okay and uh, there are many more questions when i write anything or adapt anything i ask these questions of the character and these are the questions that i ask of johnny cash mm-hmm. uh, and they're those questions then you then you ask them there are other questions you can ask you can ask what's the angriest Anyone ever got at you? Which is another way of getting at shame. Uh, you can ask. You can say, "What's the time?" You laughed until you cried. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I hate you. I said. I love you. I said. Uh, what you're doing is you're looking for those moments when uh, somebody loses control of their life, you know, and they're always ripe with conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have no mor- moral pur- pur- purchase on the moment uh, and what I found is that in any individual's life, individuals these things are linked they have commonalities mm-hmm. sometimes they're characters, sometimes they're settings you know mm-hmm. it's different with every individual so I'll show you what I mean okay. Wh- when when I ask these questions of Johnny Cash uh, Well, I, one of the questions also is, what is the saddest thing that ever happened to you? Right. So I knew from reading about him, the saddest thing was the death of his brother. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know why. They had been very close. They slept in the same bed since you know John was two, and wow. his brother died when he was, you know, when when his brother was fourteen and John was twelve, and. But you know, you'd kind of press John on this. And he was very forthright about everything, and uh, except s- he was suddenly vague here. And he, s- he said, "Well, he was like a man, and he was a good person, and he worked hard, and he was going to be a preacher." And uh, he said, "Yes, but and well, he stood up to bullies. Like, well, who? Give me an example. Well, in the school, you know, and and well." like who? I don't remember, but it's the kind of guy he was, and it took us a long while to find out what the terror was, but John's father was a psychotic alcoholic who beat uh, his mother and the girls. He never touched the boys, but he beat the little girls in a a most vicious way, and the reason that... uh, John's brother was so important to him is his brother was the only person who would stand up to his father and he would get between him and the girls when he was beating them and the father wouldn't touch him. So uh, when you get these two things, sadness and terror, they're linked, Mm -hmm. right? In this case, by the brother, the death of the brother, the presence of the father, these two things, terror is always the backstory to shame. so John was very forthright about anything that he did, and so when you ask him what was the most shameful thing he ever did in his life, uh, he told you it was beating up his wife in front of his girls, you know his three daughters mm-hmm. and it was another way of getting at shame is what is the angriest somebody ever got at you, right. Mm-hmm. And that was when, if you, I don't, do you know the movie? Did you see the movie? I haven't seen the movie. Yeah, yet. well, if you say, <laughs> it's okay. In the movie, June, is, uh who he, he's pursuing, mm-hmm. uh, stalking in his way, uh, is uh, gets really angry at him and the band and throws all these beer bottles at them and then stalks off. Well, both of these scenes ended with a woman leaving. Mm-hmm. You no, know? one when he beats his wife up in front of the girls she takes all the girls gets in the car and drives away from him. and in this scene she throws the beer bottles tells them off and walks away Uh, joy these are the backstories to joy if on the simplest level terror and sadness right Mm -hmm. and uh i mean terror is the backstory but sadness is also the loss in this case of somebody you loved you know and uh, his most joyous moment was on the stage in London, Ontario, when after asking his, his uh, dear heart 40 different ways to marry him, he asked her in public on the stage, and she said yes. You know, and that was his proudest moment. And on a simplest level, the woman doesn't leave, and he's, con- you know, he's, be- he's found a friend and somebody who trusts him. And so that was that was the romance of the piece. So you I don't know, do you see start seeing the just the simple patterns sure, of it, choreography a, here? Yeah, everything <laughs> has
0: a has a has a, a back and forth and, and every link, to yep. opposite emotions in his, linked mirrors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and, a man and of and mirrors. So
1: if you want uh to care about this guy in and, and know what his shame is, and that he's not just a monster. You mm-hmm. know, you need to know about his the moments with his father. And, uh, and it was interesting. The uh, uh, first time I met him, I was it was in a hotel room. It was the Four Seasons in Beverly Hills, and uh, James Keach and June Carter had left, and I was sitting there with John, and I said, John, would you mind drawing me a ground plan of the house you grew up in in arkansas and he took a pencil and with a palsied hand you know took 15 minutes you know drawing an overhead view of his house and where the beds were and where people slept and where the library table was with the radio all of these things and And he said, you know, nobody's ever asked me to do this before. And he handed it to me. And I said, so, John, I've read everything about your childhood, but I have no idea who your father was. Mm -hmm. And he had never talked about his father and really talked about him. Mm -hmm. And he'd always presented his childhood as being uh, happy. They were poor but happy and had Mm -hmm. each other and God, you know. And he said... You want to know about my father? I'll tell you about my father. You really want to know about my father? I'll tell you about my father. He said, "You tell me this. Do you believe that you can be on your deathbed and say you've made your peace with God huh? and still be a racist? Do You think you can make your peace with God and be a racist? You want to know who my father was? He said, I'll tell you. My uncle in Louisiana. He was a sheriff and he didn't want black people in his cells. So when a warrant would come in for a black man, he'd come over to our house, deputize my daddy, and they'd go to the black man's house, knock on the door, say is Leroy there. When Leroy came out, they'd take him around back and they'd shoot him, that's who my daddy was. Good Lord, yeah.
0: that's in, that must have been intense. And, and it strikes me too that yeah. part of your talent as a, as a writer here is, is as an interviewer too.
1: Well, that's what it all is. and It's questions you're asking yourself when you're mm-hmm. writing and asking questions of your characters, whether they exist in a novel or a biography or, or something, or uh, just characters you're making up. Mm-hmm. You want to know these things. You want to find the answer to these things. So then he said, uh, is that tape recorder on? Oh, absolutely. And, no. no, I mean, he said that to <laughs> me, you know. And I said, yes, absolutely. (laughs) He said, turn it off. (laughs) And I said, "Uh, so this isn't going to be, when will I be dead and rid of the sins my father did? And he said, I hate that. I hate that. He he quoted scripture from somewhere in the Bible that says, when God uh, forgives you your sins, they no longer exist in his mind. And... Mm. And so he was trying to forgive his father. Uh, I wanted to say, well, John, that's for God, not for you and me, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but here was a man haunted by the, you know, who, who the first thing he tells a stranger is the thing he doesn't want the world to know. That's just you know? so fascinating. So you you had this wonderful, Well, and he was a wonderful man, I thought, and, and so was she. So they were kind of... Uh, Glorious people. So, this is an exercise we're doing here with just, you know, you. S- do, uh, what happens is uh, p- p- people sit in a, around a table. Mm-hmm. They have pens and papers. Mm-hmm. You, you've asked them to come in the next day with the most terrifying thing that ever happened to them. Mm-hmm. They tell the story. They don't write it. It's very important not to write They just locate it. Mm-hmm. And they tell it. Right? And everybody else attempts to write. Every word that they say, mm-hmm. right? So they're all writing, while, the person's telling the story. And everybody does terror, the next day they do shame, and the next day they do joy or prou- proudest moment. And, uh, and then uh, you take each person's stories and you look at them. It's not group dynamics, it's not therapy, it's nothing. It's just looking for these common common things in one person's stories and you see them in another person's life much quicker than you see them in your own
0: mm-hmm. you don't
1: recognize that all my stories are about my father or there are no women in my stories mm-hmm. or it, I'm never in a house in my stories I'm, you know, it's just people are very, very particular and it's wonderful and you see if you do if you do, you know, six terrors with one human being and so on these, it's a cycle that just repeats itself, over and over and over again. Not necessarily A, B, C, but the same terrors, the same shames, the same. It's it's intriguing, but it becomes a tool uh, for getting at the parts of a person's life that are mysterious to him, right? Bewildering, baffling. That's because that's where you become emotional, and that's where Life is baffling to all of us those moments, and drama, I think, is a communion of those moments.
0: Now, once you've uh, orchestrated these kind of it's, it's almost like you're orchestrating psychodramas in, in your class.
1: No, it isn't <laughs> that, it isn't about that. it's just trying to show them something. It's a tool. They can use mm-hmm. their questions. They might ask mm-hmm. at some time. Mm-hmm. It's not the way mm-hmm. to do something. You know, it's a way I do something. You know, and I have these cards, and every six months I ask myself, you know, what sad has happened, and then I put one or two words down, you know, on the card and put them away, file them away. You know, what what what's the most shameful things you've done here the last six months that you don't want anyone in the world ever to know, you know? And shame is, that's another thing that happens, is shame is is the key to a character. Mm -hmm. We identify, immediately identify with somebody's shame because we want a person to have a second chance because we all have our own, you know? So it's the spine or the engine of all kinds of characters in literature, you know, Lord Jim or Red Badge of Courage or uh, you name it
0: That's a fascinating observation and as shame as, as a prime motivator uh, of of man
1: well it 's a turning point in mm-hmm. one 's life you know, and uh, you know I, th- I think quite often people do things and they they don 't want to ever feel that what they felt there again, so they go to great lengths not to feel that or to feel the opposite of it, or you know redemption if you want word (laughs) help (laughs) the redemption men now that's what we are
0: um one thing i wanted to talk to you about is for example with, with johnny cash you have a life full of story could you talk about turning that into a story
1: right well i worked with james mangold for about four and a half years doing this so uh it was it 's very difficult you know, because you have a narrative with fixed events, and what you 're actually looking for is an emotional continuity that doesn 't necessarily have much to do with a calendar mm, mm-hmm. right? and it 's getting past those things. Uh, the other thing that 's at work is I think that 's very important to a writer is you 're writing this story because. They're elements of your own life that parallel it. So Johnny Cash had had a disastrous first marriage, in some ways, you know, which was a complete failure, Mm -hmm. and his second marriage was very, very important to him. You Mm -hmm. know, Uh, my first marriage ended with my wife's suicide, or, you know, she was became mentally ill and eventually killed herself. You know, so the second marriage, you know was very important a person from uh public radio in oregon called my wife because they were going to talk to me and ask if i was a a romantic person Mm. and she said i always say i married my stalker you know (laughs) and and there was that aspect of cash because when he saw this woman he just would not leave her alone you know and uh so you're looking for those things, and then there are the things that are just happening in the dailiness of your life that inform what you're writing on that given day. Richard Ford, the novelist, you know, sometimes reads what I write, and he will send you back a, you know, a, your script with notes in the margins and with words like, any good line will do. <laughs> and he means it you know Mm -hmm. it's any good line so there's a moment when june is throwing these bottles well you know she's told you the story you know but you don't have the dialogue you don't know what was said you know what happened but you you know you have to write this stuff and i had a friend who was a student of mine uh peyton marshall who uh is a lovely writer lives in Portland, Oregon she's got a band called The Third Sex it's a lesbian punk band or she had then and uh, I was having lunch with her once and I said to her you know Peyton if I was 40 years younger you know and not happily married devoted to my family which, which I love and you weren't gay and in love with somebody else we could run away (laughs) <laughs> and, and she said there are too many ifs in that sentence <laughs> so I'm writing this scene you know with this confrontation John has been up with the band they never left the theater they're drunk on the stage mm-hmm. and she comes in and realizes that that's what happened that they have a matinee in a couple of hours of how are they going to do that and, and at a certain moment He says something to her, and she says, "Well, you have a wife at home for that." And he says, "But what if I didn't?" And she says, "There are too many ifs in that (laughs) sentence." And and he says, "But there's only one." (laughs) And so that's a moment you're having a conversation between Peyton, Johnny Cash, and June Carter, and yourself. So there's that aspect to writing, too. But the workshop here, we're just concentrating on mining for material and stories. And one other thing I wanted to say that it's really important in this little workshop is that people realize that it's the depth of the emotion behind the story that makes it compelling. You know, it isn't how slickly it's told, how well it's told. It's what the feeling is behind it that makes it riveting. And uh, that's a great lesson, you know. And they feel it, they see it, they know it. And if you, I don't do this here, but if I did, I did it when I was starting to do this years and years ago and I did it for the first time. And I would, at the end of a class, I'd say, would everybody take out a piece of paper, don't put your name at the top, and just write down the most memorable stories, the two most memorable stories that were told today. And then never be more than three. You know? So.
0: Very interesting. I've been speaking with Gil Dennis. He's one of the staff members here at the Squaw Valley Community Writers Workshop. And he's a screenwriter whose last movie was Walk the Line. I think he walks the line, that's quite (laughs) quite clear. Thank you for
1: joining me, Gil. Oh, thank you so much.